Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make some connections that break through that illusion of separation. And I know, I trust today you will hear something in the next hour that will touch you, open you to life, to the divine, and really inspire you, maybe even to play life more beautifully. Imagine, imagine a place where music and spirit meet, the intersection of art and life, the poetic beauty and resonant wisdom found in that sweet place. It can open our hearts and inspire a profound peace and joy unlike anything we've experienced before. And imagine exploring this deep communion with both a master teacher of spirit and a master teacher of music. Mm, Sounds nice, doesn't it? Where life and art and soul meld into one infinite expression and where we're encouraged to acknowledge this enormous reservoir of spiritual intelligence that lives within us as a gift. We are to claim it work with it consciously and express it as our life's deepest purpose. We are so blessed today to explore this very experience. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart, and settle into your essential self as I introduce two guests for you today. First, Andrew Harvey is an internationally acclaimed poet novelist, translator, mystical scholar, and spiritual teacher. He has written and edited more than 30 books, including the best-selling titles of The Hope and the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. He's taught at Oxford University, Cornell University, Hobart and William Smith Colleges, and California Institute of Integral Studies, and the University of Creation Spirituality, as well as vast spiritual centers throughout the United States. He's the founder and director of the Institute of Sacred Activism. Seymour Bernstein is an American pianist, composer, and teacher. He's the subject of the documentary Seymour, an introduction, directed by the actor Ethan Hawke. Hawke describes Bernstein as a mentor figure. One of the most sought-after clinicians in this country and abroad Mr. Bernstein is also a prolific composer with many works on the bestseller list. His compositions range from teaching materials for students of all levels to the most sophisticated concert pieces. He continues to perform as a guest artist with chamber ensembles and serves regularly on the juries of a number of international competitions. He maintains a private studio in New York City and is also an adjunct associate professor of music and music education at New York University. Ah, oh, I am so honored to have you both here. Welcome, Andrew and Seymour. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you, Dr. Julie. Oh, yes. You know, it, we're just going to have a delightful conversation here today. 
And um, I look forward to just hearing both of your voices and the wisdom. And the book is exquisite. The two of you wrote a book, and we're going to talk about that today. It's called Play Life More Beautifully. You wrote it collectively as a conversation between the two of you. But I have to start with our traditional question that we have here on the Dr. Julie Show. So, Seymour, I'm going to start with you, and I'm going to ask, what does all things connected mean to you? All things connected, I never thought about that. But as a matter of fact, I think I live my life that way. I think that every moment of my life, whether it's professional or social, has a unity about it. And for my feeling, that unity is created by what I believe is within all living things, and that is a spiritual reservoir. I think all of us are born with a spiritual reservoir that we must tap at all times and not only depend on forces apart from us, but that spiritual reservoir is like a macrocosm of the a microcosm, of the macrocosm, of the universe itself. And I think it tells us whatever we need to know and that we, we have only to tap into it. Mm. Well, that is it's a beautiful, beautiful definition. Thank you, Seymour. And I love how that comes through so clearly in the book. And, and in your life's work. So I'm, I really want to dive into that definition again in just a little bit. But I want to give Andrew an opportunity also to answer that. So, Andrew, Harvey, what does all things connected mean to you? To me, it means that we are living in a miraculously interconnected universe. The Buddha said the universe is like Indra's net, a net of millions and millions of diamonds in which each facet of each diamond is reflecting all the facets of the other diamonds. When you wake up, you experience this beyond words. You experience the mysterious unity that connects everything. And when you try to live to what you've experienced. You come into what Seymour has described, this very humble, very simple, unified field which dictates compassion and tenderness and deep sense of solidarity with everything that is alive. I've spent a lot of time with Seymour now, and I've been with him in his lovely, small, wonderful house in Maine, and I've watched him feed the chipmunks and stare out to sea and play music. And he's the same person bringing the same qualities of tender, compassionate being to everything that he does. And he relates with tremendous intimacy to everyone and everything. I hope I try to do the same. I know I have a long way to go. But the reason why I did this book, Play Life More Beautifully, which Hay House has just brought out and which I'm extremely proud of, 
is to give everyone a sense of what this interconnection is like in a very direct way. The wonderful thing about doing a book of conversations with somebody you love is that you start connected and then you dance with the person over a whole slew of wonderfully passionate topics and that's what the book is and that's what the book conveys. The book is a connection of the heart. It dances with almost everything except the recipe of celery soup and it creates a field where all things are connected and that's the field that I hope readers will be drawn into. Well, I as a reader, definitely was drawn into that field and experienced it in all of its beauty and mystery, and yet um, this coherent resonance between the two of you, even though you might describe that in a, in a slightly different manner, it was really a beautiful, resonant example of the field. So thank you both for doing that. Let's talk about that book. Um, you two were at a dinner party. Seymour, you were invited to a dinner party. You didn't have any idea who Andrew Harvey or Ethan Hawke was. Tell us about that day. What what happened? Well, uh, my pupil invited me for dinner. And uh, I, I'm social to a certain extent. But what I don't really approve of or enjoy is meetings with a lot of people, social meetings, especially dinner situations where everyone sits around holding a drink and engages in small talk. You know, I just steer away. I have steered away from that for most of my life. So I'm rather stuck up, I guess. (laughs) So I (laughs) asked my pupil. Well, who's coming? I wanted to know if it was going to be a big crowd. He told me it invited two guests. And I said, and who are they? He said, you don't know who Ethan Hawke is? Well, maybe, of course, I understand you don't know who Andrew Harvey is. But you, Ethan Hawke is a famous actor. I said, really? So I said, all right, I'll come. And then I hung up the phone and I Googled them. And, of course, I recognized Ethan Hawke, and I was absolutely in awe when I Googled Andrew Harvey, because there he was sitting at a desk and holding forth an <laughs> activism, and I was just knocked out by what he was saying, and the way he delivered his concepts was very impressive to me. So you can imagine when I finally met them, our conversation was electric. There is no other word to describe it. We were, we were talking mostly, since Ethan is, is a performer, and since I am a performer, and, and, and Andrew is a performer in his own sense, when he gives presentations, we were discussing the essence of performance, what it is that we try to convey, to our audiences, our nervousness, our pre-performance anxiety, which exists among all performers who have a sense of responsibility. You know, when you're responsible, it occurs to you that you may not be your best at that next performance. 
And so this creates a certain kind of anxiety, more with some people than not. And I helped Ethan to understand all of this and that he should welcome it as a sign of his deep responsibility to his art. And that first meeting uh, ended up by their asking me, Andrew and, and Ethan, if I would play. Well, I told them I'm more comfortable on my own piano. Please, would they come to my studio? And they came the next year because Ethan was making movies. And you know that Andrew travels all around the world giving his wonderful thoughts and concepts to people. And so they did come to my studio a year later. I played an hour recital for them. And it was Andrew who was the first one to respond. He got up from the sofa and he was wiping away a tear. I was very moved by that. He put his both hands on my shoulder and he said, whether you want to or not, we're going to make a documentary on you. Well, Dr. <laughs> Julie, what would you do if somebody said that to you? I mean, it's quite amazing, isn't it? And he was, he was really serious in that moment. And oh, you said well, it was an amazing moment because Ethan is astonishingly intelligent and obviously not only world-renowned, but a very serious soul. He's got a passion for truth, and he's on his own spiritual search. And he and I were sitting near each other, and I could tell how profoundly moved he was, not just by the extraordinary, holy, tender beauty of Simo's playing, but by the way Simo was playing. Because when Simo plays, he is playing his whole being, as well as the being of the music, dedicating everything to the music. And to be alone with a few people, with Seymour, with a quiet light and this glorious music, he was playing Schumann and he played the first movement of the Moonlight Sonata. That was an experience I shall never forget as long as I live. And I cried most of the time. And Ethan, who is less prone to crying than I am, was I could see extremely moved, and I turned at the end of it, and I said to Ethan, I know you have nothing else to do because you're so busy, but you have got to make a film about this extraordinary man because he's not only a great artist. He's a great human being, and the artist and the human being are the same thing. And Ethan said, I am going to do it. And it was going to be his first documentary. And Ethan made it, which astonished me because people in my life say things and don't do them, but I have the highest opinion of Ethan, so I was astonished but not surprised because he's a man of his word, and he produced the most amazing documentary, Seymour and Introduction, which became a global phenomenon and was played and is being played all over the world. It's on and Chinese that led television to me. now, Andrew. Did you know that? What, my darling? It's on Chinese television <laughs> with titles. I, you know how I know that? Because oh a prodigy God. came with her parents for two months of lessons with me. 
and they told me they saw the documentary on Chinese television. That is so extraordinary. I mean, it's been in Reykjavik, it's been in all over the States, it's been in Belgium. You get, you keep getting the most extraordinary emails, don't you? Do well, tell about you know, that 20-year-old boy. That's such a beautiful story. Well, mm. you know, we're having this phone conversation. Last summer, I had phone interviews with, uh, with people who were about to show the documentary in New Zealand, Australia, Romania, Israel, Belgium, <laughs> Netherlands, you name it. It went on and on. I just couldn't believe it. So I'm live, walking around in the dream state from all of this. And I, I know the movie is about me. It's true. But I'm objective enough to know that Ethan created a masterpiece. Yes. There's something about the way he edited it and put the various scenes together so that the average person who doesn't know anything about music at all come will come up to me and say, I don't know anything about music, but everything in the documentary pertains to me. Isn't that beautiful? You know, that, that to Seymour comes through in the book and your conversation with Andrew, the book play life more beautifully is written with a conversation between the two of you. And you do talk a little bit about the documentary and life and, and real life. But what I was particularly touched by was the full integration, the full union, like, like Andrew, you mentioned the art and the human are the same. They're one. And, and Seymour that comes through in, in almost every word that's, that is illuminated on these pages, you see a level of deep trust and faith and grace that just comes through everything. And it is music itself. It's this beautiful harmonic. I don't know enough about music to use music terms either, but I just feel your life and your message so alive. Oh, how beautiful. That's very comforting to hear that. You know, uh, the Buddhists have told us uh, we should have very deep relationships, very deep and personal relationships, but always to keep a distance, to be objective about things and not be totally involved so that if we lose a lover, a wife, a husband, a partner, a friend, we have to grieve but be detached at the same time. So I was deeply involved in creating this book with Andrew. You know, we had six days in which to do it. They wanted to get the book out around the time of the Oscars because the publishers were convinced that the documentary was going to earn an Oscar. And why? Because the website called Rotten Tomatoes, which is a terrible name, that lists the percentage of good and bad reviews of every movie in existence, 
and stated that we're the only movie that had 100% rave reviews. So we had to get that book out in six days. So we, we put the microphone between us, sat on a sofa, and off we went. We filled 12 discs of conversation. <laughs> and then I edited it for the entire month of August. Then it went to the editors of Hay House. And, you know, this was a deep involvement on our part. But I remained objective about it and rather distant from it. And now I received the book in the mail and I started to read it. I don't didn't remember a single thing that we said. <laughs> so, so every word that I read was like going through it all over again for the first time. And I have to say, Andrew, I'm so impressed with this book. And, and as I read it, you know, it's called Conversations with Seymour. You know, just forget it. This is Conversations with one of the most profound scholars and thinkers that the world has ever produced in the form of Andrew Harvey. Because when I, when Andrew is, the very way he asks me questions opens up myriads of thought and feeling. He's a very profound, Andrew, you're a very profound guy. <laughs> well, that's the pot calling the kettle beige. I loved doing it. Nothing is more exciting to me than being with somebody I truly respect and admire and love and being a kind of Nureyev to their Fontaine. I was lucky enough to see Nureyev and Fontaine dance, and Fontaine was 25 years older than Nureyev, and she'd been perfect before she met Nureyev. But when she met Nureyev, she became more than perfect. She expanded and exploded and erupted in the most glorious way. She just abandoned herself in a way she'd never done before because she felt completely held. And I've never forgotten the rapture that I had at the performance I saw them. They were doing Marguerite and Armand, Great Ballet by Frederick Ashton. And the way she allowed... Nureyev to support her and took his support as a way to just explore her own power was magical to me. One of the things I love to do, I love writing, I love teaching, I love doing my own work, but one of the things I really cannot get enough of actually is interviewing the people I love and admire because it's a skill and it's a deep act of the spirit. And I cannot tell you how glorious it was to interview you, Seymour, because you met me everywhere and you took some very intense and difficult questions and just ran with them. I think one of the strengths of the book is that we agree about almost everything, but we don't always agree in the book. And the way in which we disagree is so beautiful for me as I read this book, because we never critique the other's position. We listen with the whole depth of our being and learn from that listening. And even when we don't come to the same conclusion, we always respect the other's own unique path. Oh, that's true. That's very true. And then you know, whenever we did disagree, 
And then I went to bed that night. I contemplated what you were projecting to me. And I could easily come over to your side. But, you know, Andrew, let's face it. You know, in the ballet, I just slept higher than you did. (laughs) (laughs) And I know you tried to transcend to meet me, but... You know, I, it's true. After it's all, true. I, I admit I it. am. I am what I am. You know what? You know what Seymour is, Julie. He is the Jewish Dalai Lama. This is why people absolutely go nuts over him. It's not only that thousands and thousands of people of all over the world have fallen in love with Seymour. Dogs fall in love with Seymour as he goes down the street. Waiters start giggling uncontrollably when he begins to talk. We had the most hilarious evenings in Maine, in between our conversations, in which we would go into a restaurant and Seymour would say, I am the emperor of Japan and I'm what's on the menu and the waiter would be gone. <laughs> so he has an extraordinary capacity to enchant. I think he's one of the great living enchanters. He doesn't set out to enchant. He just does it naturally. It's an amazing personality. So it was a huge But Julie, Julie Andrews was very selfish. He had these gorgeous... Um, oysters, and he wouldn't. He will give never me a let taste. me forget this. No, he would share one with me. I thought that you were giving them to me as a treat. You said, "Look, we've got to go to Damaris Cotter. They're the greatest oysters in the world." I was sitting there enjoying them, and I hoped that I was giving you the utmost pleasure by enjoying them. But I have never been able to live this down, Julie. He sees this as proof. <laughs> yes, but you know, you taught me he who gives or must also receive. <laughs> and I do that already. And I love the humor and I love the playfulness that you two share. But I do just want to, um, we have a minute before break, so um, I need to interject here. But I totally agree with the ballet. And I, and I do think, Seymour, you're correct. I think that um, you were lifted higher on some of those ballet lifts. And, and Andrew did a beautiful job supporting you. This was an incredible dance. The book is called Play Life More Beautifully, Conversations with Seymour. We're speaking with Seymour Bernstein and Andrew Harvey, and there's so much more when we come back. We'll be right back. Americans are at risk of foreclosure and losing their homes. Fortunately, help is available. Making Home Affordable is a free program from the U.S. government that has already helped over a million struggling homeowners, and we want to help you. I'm home. I'm home. And I love it. I'm home. I'm home. Find out now what your options are. Go to makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE. The sooner you act, the better chance we can help you. I'm home, I'm home, where I be Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. Hey, Larry, mind if I sit down? Nope. This coffee tastes like uh, coffee. 
So what's going on? Not much. What's new? Not much. Okay, but can you please put the newspaper down while you say not much? What newspaper? This newspaper. Oh, dude! What happened to your face? I see one, two, Ow. three, four, five, six... Ow. Dude, what is Ow. this? Eleven pieces of toilet paper stuck to your face? I'm shaving in the dark to save energy. I'm helping the environment. That's a dangerous way to help the environment. Well, sometimes you have to sacrifice yourself for the greater good. Dude, there's an easier and safer way to help the environment without sacrificing yourself. Go green, go public. Take public transportation. It's good for the environment and you won't have to live behind a newspaper. Wow. But for now, put the newspaper back up. A message from the public transportation systems across the country. To learn more, visit publictransportation.org. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn. Or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs. Ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you. The enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree. Yes. That one. The free-to-be-me you. <laughs> Ask your parents to take you to this not-so-far-away place. Come to the forest, where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today and want to share it with others or maybe just listen to it again and again and again, please visit our website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archives and a listing of our upcoming guests. And also stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie. Come on over, say hi, send me a message. I love to hear from you. And thanks for your emails and, and support for the show. So once again, we are speaking with Andrew Harvey and Seymour Bernstein, authors of Play Life More Beautifully. And Seymour, I, I want to start this next segment. There's so many beautiful, subtle lessons in this book. And I agree with Andrew. He's calling you the Jewish Dalai Lama. And there's just a radiance about you. There's a radiance of your on your picture, in the on the cover, in the trailer of the documentary I've seen, and in the words on the page. And I, I love that radiance. It's like this, it's really a, a spiritual thing that is just so evident. And one of the things that you talk about, and I'm curious about this, I might ask you a, a specific question here, but you talk a lot about life influencing our art and our art influencing our life. And then again, that's integration. You talk about embodying the music, embodying the piano, embodying the composer of the music. So you just become one with all of it. And I, I'm curious what you might um, share. I have a daughter who's an actress in New York City, and we just came back from Durango, Colorado. She was in a film that was in a film festival. It was so much fun. And I thought about you the whole time doing your film festivals with Ethan. And the documentary, but one of the things that she talks about is it was so difficult for her 
as an artist, she played a very dark and dramatic character. And the film was about suicide. And she talks about how, how much she embodies it. And as a young actress, she hasn't learned how to fully be this character and not just get wiped out by that. What would you say to a young artist, musician, actor, artist of any kind about that very phenomenon? Well, <clears throat> there's a lot to be said. And you brought up a lot of very important questions. And, and that elicits all sorts of inspirational feelings within me uh, since I've dealt all of my life with an art form. And to begin to answer your question, and maybe to throw some light on your daughter's dilemma, um, when we're practicing really responsibly in order to be able to project the wonders within music to other people and to even to process it for ourselves, we're engaged in a profound method in which we identify the essence of who we are. We, all of us are searching for our identity. And I believe that the essence of who we are resides in whatever talent we have. So when I'm practicing my best, I'm integrating my emotional world, my intellectual world, and my physical world, exactly as your daughter does when she acts. And the important thing to do is not to confine it only to your art form, but to take that integration of emotion, feeling, and thinking, and physical coordination, and project it into our social world so that the person and the artist are not separated, but they're one and the same. Mm. That's beautiful. I, I love that message and the other thing that that reminds me of is when you were talking about performance anxiety and Andrew asked you how you did that concert for Ethan and you said that you played for him can you speak about that yes well you know when this documentary was planned uh, Ethan and his wife and I sat together in my pupil's apartment, the, the pupil who invited us for dinner, and, and he outlined what he wanted to do. I will, I'll never forget what he said. His chief intent in making the documentary was to demonstrate to other people, especially to young people, how an involvement in an art form can not only influence your involvement as an artist, but how it affects your life. And I was very impressed with that because it happened to be the thesis of a book that I wrote. 
I wrote a book called With Your Own Two Hands. And if I would tell you what the book is about, just in one sentence, which is very difficult, but I finally succeeded in doing that. The book suggests that a deep involvement in practicing music and performing music can make us not only better musicians, but better people. And that's the important goal in doing anything that we're involved in. It doesn't have to do, it doesn't have to be music or acting. It could be anything that we have a deep passion for. In other words, we have to play life to the best of our ability. And <clears throat> to go a little further about that, you know that in April I'm going to be 89, and I have done a lot of thinking as I have grown older, and it occurred to me quite recently that all of life is a preparation for growing older. Because when you grow older, you revert back to the periods of your life, and you don't want to have any feelings of regret. Oh, I missed that opportunity. I should have done this, and I should have done that. Well, you know a little of that. You can't avoid it. But in general, as you grow older, you ought to have pleasure from yourself. And how does one learn to have pleasure or even to love oneself? And the way to do that is to accept a challenge and never let that challenge down, to work very hard and overcome whatever obstacles appear by accepting that challenge. And that means an artistic challenge or a personal challenge. There's no difference between the two. But there is something that I would like to suggest. Uh, Our social world in general is very unpredictable. You know, we know that the person closest to us one day might do something or say something and it has a terrible effect upon our relationship, maybe a permanent effect. But I must tell you that our art forms are totally predictable. Shakespeare's plays, the the words, will never, never, never change. And when Chopin writes a B-flat, it's there for eternity. So when we fuse with this predictable art form, something very secure takes place within us. And it's very important to know that. So I think you should project this to your daughter, that when she becomes the role that she's playing, she must remain at the same time detached from it. And the way to be detached from it is to know what this involvement is doing to her. It's integrating her personality and making her a person 
who begins by respecting and loving herself, and only in that state she can make a contribution to other people. Mm. Thank you, Seymour. That's that's beautiful. And as I hear you speak, I hear the mystic scholar in Andrew. I hear the essence of Andrew also encouraging us to move into sacred activism and to tap into that huge reservoir inside. And no wonder you guys did such a beautiful dance together. Andrew, I'm, I'm curious for you, how did this doing this book change you? Well, I've always adored music and my grandmother was a concert pianist and I've studied and loved classical music now since I was a child. I'm passionate about all forms of classical music, especially opera. And it's been a dream of mine to write a book to, that celebrates the power of music to infuse us with joy. When I met Seymour, I realized that there was another level, and that's the level of integrating the whole self with the exquisite, radiant order that music is always in service to, the great tradition is always in service to. Yes. And as I got to know Seymour, I could see the way in which this integration had happened in him, and it mirrored something that I am seeking in my mystical search to integrate myself, my mind, my heart, my soul, my body with the great mystical revelation so that I can be truly useful at this tragic and terrible and also amazing moment of the world's history. So it changed me really in three ways, I think. First, it took me even deeper into my own love of music. Second, it revealed to me that something I'd suspected that music could have not only a healing effect upon the soul, but upon the whole personality was true because I could see that healing in Seymour. And thirdly, it confirms something that I've been feeling and thinking for a long time. And that is that one of the real aspects of our time that is very important is that it's a time not just for solo artists doing their solo things, stars doing their own star-like thing, but a time of deep collaboration between sacred friends. And I see this happening everywhere. I see this in various activist groups, of course, where people come together around a cause they feel passionately about. I see it in great collaborations in the artistic world. And I think it's a very important part of what's happening everywhere because what's needed now on the planet are people of like minds and like hearts and like souls to come together and help each other integrate more deeply so that they can serve the world more completely. So those are the three ways that writing and collaborating on this book with Seymour changed me. Beautiful. Well, it is it is um, evident, it jumps off the pages, how, how much you adore each other. And so I want to bring up this topic of love because these newfound friends, you, you find each other, there's, an, there's this deep resonance between the two of you. And then woven throughout your words and 
throughout this book is conversation about love and relationship and self-love. And I, I think I would really love to hear you both speak of this kind of love that we're talking about, because it's, it's kind of like the prescription that we're talking about, Andrew, for our world today. We need to hear what this really means to truly love the self and then to authentically love one another, just like you both have shown in this book. Who wants to start? Well, I believe Seymour should start because he is the one who has learned the most about this. Seymour, what can you teach us about love and self-love? You do a beautiful job in the book. Well, let me see. I think, of course, I learned uh, from an early age what the essence of love was by my own mother. My mother was the essence of what true love really means. My my mother would would love uh, for the sake of the other person, even at the expense of her own deprivation. She wanted what was best for others. So that's one of the chief goals of when one gauges true love. And you know what Aristotle thought about uh, true love. Uh, He defined the essence of love, not in a marriage, but in friendship. So I thought that's a very beautiful thing to contemplate. Because uh, among friends, you see, there's a certain depth of communication with a beautiful detachment at the same time. And it can produce amazing results when two minds linked together and two emotional worlds linked together. Um, Another means, another indication of True love is forgiveness. And there are certain things, however, as you read in the book, that I think ought not to be forgiven. But in general, we have to put our faith in people and forgive their faults and try our best to lead, to give an example to people who have difficulties on how to overcome their faults. So I do this through teaching. When I have a pupil who's in serious trouble, they are in, in, in deep trouble expressing their emotional world. They're, I would say some of my pupils are bankrupt when it comes to expressing themselves. Other pupils can express themselves and they're technically bound intentions. Well, the way I go about helping them is to take on the various aspects of their difficulties. In other words, I become my pupil in the same way that your daughter becomes the role that she's acting. 
And when I take on the aspects of my pupils, I'm able to understand where they're coming from, and I can best help them to overcome their difficulties. So we all express love in different ways, and I think we ought to become aware that we're doing it. It doesn't have to only be in, in marriage relationships, as Aristotle said, the essence of love is friendship. And now I think Andrew has so much to say about this. He and I have discussed this in great detail. I'm going to turn it over to him now. Mm-hmm. I think Aristotle was right. I think friendship is the highest form of love. And I think the way in which Seymour described it as this marriage of deep communication with beautiful detachment is the key. One day the Dalai Lama said to me, and I asked him what he saw that I needed to correct. And he said, you're doing fine, he said, but I feel you should detach more in, a, in order to be able to love more deeply. And I said, mm. can you repeat that? And he said, detach more in order to be able to love more deeply. And of course, since it came from him, I thought about it at the deepest level I was capable of, and it was a revelation to me. I'd always before that imagined that love was intensity, love was burning focus, and I am a very naturally passionate person. But what he made absolutely clear to me that was that that kind of love has its limitations because it has its shadows of possessiveness and anguish and potential deep disappointment, whereas the love that you pursue with both commitment and attachment is a love that exists for its own holy, pure sake. And that's what I found in my life as it's gone on. I found that I've loved the most and the best when I've been with people with whom I've had at once a very intense communion and a radiant separation and detachment. And that's been a key as to how to live my whole life. I think the greatest thing ever said about love was said by Rilke, and I've put it into the book because it seems so important. He says it in a letter to a young poet. He says, true love, in true love, two people, two people's solitudes border, protect, and salute each other. They border each other, so these two solitudes touch in a marvelous way. They protect each other because when you love somebody as a true friend, you love the uniqueness and the fragility of their being, and you protect them because you honor them and respect them so deeply, and you salute them too because two solitudes depend upon a lot of inner discipline and rigor and have been won through sometimes great suffering. So you salute what has gone into the long work that has perfected the other to make them beautiful to you, to make them so uniquely special to you. I think 
What Rilke is saying is important for every kind of relationship. It's important in marriage. If two people are married and are not friends, that's a terrible recipe for disaster. And if lovers don't start and finish in friendship, then love can be a dreadful suffering. And if two solitudes try and take each other over, that can be, of course, deep, deep sorrow. So the kind of love that Seymour and I have and the kind of love that we're talking about in the book is a love that demands a deep spiritual discipline and is the result of deep spiritual discipline. And it's a love that you can rely on and that you can count on and that changes your whole way, not only of loving people, but Loving trees, loving stones, loving the light on the grass, loving animals. And it's a revelation. And I think that one of the great things about getting older is that you become better at this kind of love. Don't you think so, Seymour? I think that I become better as I grow older. And I tell all my pupils, look what you have to look forward to. Old age is the best part of life. You can do more than you've ever done before. You can conceive things that you've never been able to conceive before. And then, but to go back to what you said, uh, Andrew, about love, uh, I'm always aware that I have to earn love. And love just doesn't come to people. They really have to earn it. So True. The most, isn't that so? Look what yes. you've done in your life to earn love. You've, you've burst yourself in, in activities, in creative works, in thought, in searching. And I've done exactly the same. I'm proud of the fact yeah. that I've earned love. And I think that young people have to be reminded of this all the time. I know that I give my pupils much better lessons when they are prepared. If they don't practice, they don't get the best of me. And so they know very early in our relationship that they have to earn my respect. Don't you agree, Andrew? I well, do. I, I agree. think it's very important. Andrew, I need to I need to interrupt you, but I'm just going to put an exclamation point on that. It's such a beautiful conversation and discussion. And I just want to say I need to say thank you to both of you. You are the embodiment of this deep, authentic love. You're the embodiment of this deep spiritual discipline. Thank you both for joining us on the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Oh, thank you. And again, I want to let our listeners know we're talking with Seymour Bernstein and Andrew Harvey, authors of Play Life More Beautifully, Conversations with Seymour. And I want to say so much more to sum this up, but I don't have time. So together we create greater connectivity and that's always a good thing. So until next time, I'm sending you a world of love and wish you to play more beautifully. Bye for now.